Welcome to the Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. And the Lord says, I have heard as my people have yearned for me to move. And the Lord says, this is my response. Here am I. The Lord says, I have heard you. And have I not said time and again that I am not deaf to your cries? The Lord says, how many times have I said unto you, I hear every word? And the Lord says, I say again, here am I. And the Lord says, I have not come into this house. I have not come into this city. I have not come into your circumstance by happen chance. But I have come because I've been invited. I have come because you have asked. I have come because you have sought and beseeched me. And I say to you that here am I. And I am on the move. Says the Lord. So this year God spoke a a mission for this house. And we decided to make a banner out of it. Mission 2020. Renew and restore. Renew and restore. Well this morning I want us to talk about the restore portion of that mission. You know that churches are not meant to be museums. They're not meant to be mausoleums. Amen? Churches are meant to be centers of life and community, family, relationships. That's what the church is meant to be. God designed it to be this way. Amen? He made it this way. If it was not meant to be this way, it would not persist, would it? But it has persisted. That means God is using it. But we as a church have to accept and understand our obligation to being part of the church house. We have to understand that we are on a mission. We are not stagnant. We are not asleep. Right? But we are on the move. God told us this morning that He's on the move. If He's on the move, God forbid that God move and we sit still. Amen. I want to be moving wherever He's moving. I want to be doing what He's doing. And, and I feel like for some reason in this season, God has directed us to look at what it means to be a body. That's what we've been talking about on Wednesday. This past Wednesday, we talked about how the Word of God says that we belong to each other. Amen? And when we grow individually, we grow together. What's good for you is good for me. When I grow, you grow. When you grow, I grow. Amen? It's good. And, And overall, the kingdom grows. But we have been called as a church... Not just this year, but moving forward, we have been called to be a place of restoration. A place of restoration. That means you've got to be people of restoration. That means you get to be restored, and then you get to help restore others. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So our topic this morning is mission restore. Mission restore. Let's read Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and then we'll pray. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for all that you have already done. God, two souls saved. Eternal things have already happened today. 
God, you spoke a word and you said that you were here to move. You spoke to another and said, today is the day of victory. God, today we open up our ears to hear. We ask that you give us tender hearts that it may be good ground for the good seed of the word. Lord, let this word come forth and accomplish exactly what you sent it to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. If a man be overtaken in a fault. Have you ever been overtaken by something? Amen. You ever been overtaken by uh, something bad? Grief? Anybody ever been overtaken by grief? It happens. Anybody ever been depressed? Overtaken? It happens. Anybody ever been overwhelmed at work, at home, all of the above? Amen. We know what it means to be overtaken. When I picture that, that uh, like an image, I picture that first part of that word that says over. I picture something bigger. I'm a little guy. Most things in life have been bigger than me. Most people in life have been bigger than me. Uh, people remark that, I, you know, that I'm short and they act like I don't know it. Uh, believe me, I know it. I know it. When my wife has to get things out of the, out of the cabinet because I can't. I know. I, I know what it is to have someone over me. When you're little, you have big friends. That's your goal. We have a big friend, amen? We've been overtaken sometimes. Sometimes we've had people in our midst, in this body, in this family, that have been overtaken by a fault. Now, that, that word fault, it can be something that naturally comes to us. It can be a, a product of environment. You know, there's so many folks that are overtaken by their environment. So many folks that are simply products of what they've been raised in. You know, I, I was raised in a good home. I've got both my parents. I, I was brought to church every time there was church. But I'm the weirdo for that. Most folks don't have that experience. And you know, that's fine because that doesn't knock God off the throne. That doesn't move him that you had a dysfunctional situation. It doesn't move him that there's fault in your life. He, he is immovable. He is unchangeable. Amen? There is nothing that can shake him. But we get shaken. We get moved. We get overtaken sometimes. We go through seasons of life that just become too much. Paul the Apostle, writing to the church in Galatia, which was kind of a, a dysfunctional bunch, which, of course, I don't know that I've ever seen a perfect church. I've been a part of this house for 28 years. And, but in that time, I've been to a lot of other places. I've seen a lot. I've gone with pastor to preach at places and all this stuff. And in that time, I've seen dysfunction everywhere. It's everywhere. There's not a perfect church. Nowhere in existence is there one. But Paul writes to this church, and he says, Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore. You who are spiritual. We all know what it's like to be overtaken. I'd say a number of us know what it's like to be spiritual. Are you spiritual? Amen? You ever pray in a language you don't know? You ever, you ever get moved upon to do something that you wouldn't normally do? At Walmart, God tells you to tell somebody something. Or at the family dinner, God tells you to encourage someone. Right? That means you're spiritual. It means you're spiritual. Therefore, if we have people in our midst, if we have people in our community that need restored, whose obligation is it? Is it just God's? I believe this scripture tells us no. It's not just God's. Now, God can do anything with anyone to whomever He will. However, He always moves through His people. 
He always moves through His people. It is not God's plan for people to have these individual, out-of-body, super-spiritual experiences and then come in the church house and tell us about it. It's His plan to use you. It's His plan to use you and me and all of us to be the vehicles by which restoration comes. So this morning we're talking about mission restore. It is our mission as a church, not just in 2020, but forevermore. It is our mission to be a place that facilitates the restoration of God. The restoration that God brings. Now that word restore in the Greek means to complete thoroughly. Complete thoroughly. Have you ever felt like you were in pieces? You ever felt like you got tore up, torn apart, left in shambles, so to speak? Amen. I'm sure we've all been there. Restore, restoration from God pieces people back together. The restoration from God is a complete and thorough putting back together. That gives us hope this morning. Because whatever's been taken from me, Whatever's been lost in my life, whatever has been broken in my experiences can be restored. Amen? It can be restored. But how does that restoration come? It comes through us to each other. We've got a community around us that is broken. It is in pieces. Kaysen agrees. It is in pieces. There's people who's whose lives are wrecked because of their environment, because of their choices, because of the choices of others. And God forbid we be put together and tell nobody about it. That we be put together and not go out to someone broken and say, you know what, I know somebody who can put me together. Amen. I know somebody who can outdo and overcome your addiction. I know somebody who can put back the pieces that the enemy has taken. I know somebody who can fix what you did to yourself. Amen, because sometimes we do it to ourselves. But God, through His people, can restore. He can complete thoroughly. He can complete thoroughly. We are a house, excuse me, we are a house of restoration. Restoration is first mentioned in Genesis 20. It's the very first time you see that word, restore. In Genesis 20, you've got Abram and Sarai, his wife. It's before God has changed their names. They're traveling through the land of Abimelech. Abimelech has a bit of a reputation. He likes pretty ladies. And he's been known to kill husbands and take wives. So, Abram says to Sarah, God's leading me this way. We have to go this way. But if anybody asks, you are my sister, not my wife. Because I can't be what God wants me to be if I'm dead. Amen. Now, I don't know if it was the right approach. But that was at least a semi-logical approach. Uh, to what he was, he was trying to do. The problem is, sure enough, Abimelech takes Sarai from Abraham, uh, from Abram. And in a dream, God speaks to Abimelech, and God says to him in, in Genesis 20, verse 7, he says, give her back. He says, restore. Verse 7, now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for you, and you will live. But if you don't, you will surely die. You and all that are yours. So Abimelech, being a smart man, returns the wife to the husband. 
And he even goes as far to Abram and he says, why didn't you tell me? I wouldn't have taken her. And Abram's like, man, you have a reputation. Okay? So it was a reasonable thing. This, this Hebrew word for restore, we've, we've looked at the Greek word, which means to complete thoroughly. The Hebrew word for restore means to turn back. To turn back. So now we have a more complete picture of restore. It means to put it back together, complete thoroughly, and it means to turn back. To turn back what was lost. To turn back what was taken. Amen. If you've ever experienced any loss and any recovery, then you know that recovery is the better of the two. God, turn back what has been taken. Turn back. God, put me back together, but turn back what I've lost. People have taken pieces of us with them. People have taken pieces of our hearts with them. And we need God to turn that back. Amen? We need God to put us back together again. We need Him to move through His people. Remember, we, we've got people around us that have been overtaken. But what good can we be when we ourselves are in pieces? God, turn back what has been lost. So I want to show you that as we as a body begin to try to restore those that are overtaken, what does that look like? We see in Genesis 20 that it looks like a turning back. What, what had been lost was returned. If we get into the book of Exodus, we begin to see how God dealt with theft. Now, why would it be important for us to look at that? Because God approaches theft a different way than what you would think. God instituted rules and laws for His people that if there was a theft and if there was loss, there had to be repayment. So when we're talking about restore... God, restore. God, restore. When we're talking about restoring, we've got to understand that restoration is, uh, is a consequence, a judgment in our favor for what was taken from us. We have brothers and sisters that have been overtaken, and so we've got to understand that what they need is they need somebody with authority to speak on their behalf and speak that what has been lost or stolen would be returned. Amen. That's what they need. And we know somebody who's got authority, amen? Let's go to Exodus 22, verse 1. We're going to read verse 4 as well. In verse 1, it says, If a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for one ox and four sheep for one sheep. Verse 4 says, If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore double. So here's what I want you to see. When it came time for God's people to deal with theft, what they needed to, to seek as recompense for their loss was by two, by four, or by five. Restoration looks like, yes, the returning of what was lost, but multiplied. Amen? Don't miss it. Restoration is the returning of what was lost, but it's multiplied back. Amen? If it's killed, if it's destroyed, if that relationship was demolished, God says five times. Five times it comes back. Four times it comes back. If it's still alive, if that thing still has hope in it, then it's double. Double for the trouble, amen? It is, it is God restoring not just what was lost, but multiplying back to you so that you're now abundant, not just restored. Abundant. 
God, I want multiplication, not just restoration. God, I want what was taken, yes. But God, I'm entitled to more. I am entitled to multiplied restoration. What does it look like when a brother is overtaken? It looks like God giving them back what has taken from them. And it looks like God multiplying it in their life over and over and over again, many times from what they lost. That's restoration in the kingdom of God. We've got a community around us that, yes, they need what was taken from them, but they got to get over it. they got to get more. they got to go above. And God's got it. God's got it. There's enough. There's enough of Him to take care of this stuff. Amen? There's enough of Him to give back years. There's enough of Him to restore relationships. There's enough of Him to multiply possessions back. He can do it. He can do it. He's willing to do it. It's His law that says, hey, when you take, you've got to give back more. You think the devil isn't bound by that law? You think the devil isn't bound by that law? He's bound by it. We've got a God on our side who says give them more. Now the question could be raised, what happens when they don't want to give more? What do you do when somebody owes you something and they won't give it back? You go to the judge. You go to the judge. Jesus gave us a remedy for that in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. He spoke a parable to this end. That man should always pray and not faint. And he said this, there was a judge in a certain city. That judge did not fear God nor regard man. But there was a widow woman there who had been sinned against. She deserved justice and no one would give it to her. So she went to the judge. He would not avenge her for a while. But it says in verse 4, but afterward... He said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, verse 5, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continued coming she wears me out. Weary me. That's what that means. She wears me out. I like how pastor says it. Remember how pastor tells this story? That judge was looking out the door into his courtroom saying, there she is again. There she is again. Because of her, her, her continual coming, her importunity, because she would not stop. See, folks, there are people among us and around us and attached to us that are overtaken, and they can't do anything about it, but we know a judge. Amen? We know a judge, and if, if an unrighteous judge who doesn't care about God or care about people, if an unrighteous judge will avenge someone, how much more will our Heavenly Father reach out and move and speak on our behalf for those who cannot speak for themselves? Jesus says that in verse 7. Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Speedily. If a widow woman can wear an unrighteous judge out, how much more can the righteous move the heart of our father when our brother has been overtaken or our sister has been overwhelmed? How much more can God restore? Amen. If a judge can do it, God Almighty can move on our behalf. Amen. He can help us restore this brother or this sister. He can help us lead them out of addiction. He can help us break those bondages that are around them. He can do it because we know the judge. He's got the authority 
All power in heaven and earth belongs to him, the Bible says. All authority in heaven and earth. And he also said, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. we got to live in our privilege, church. We've got to operate in our function, in our role. We are called to be on a mission of restoration. A mission of restoration. Let this house be known as a place where people can come and get put back together. Amen. Let this place be known as a place where God can return, multiply times again what the enemy has stolen. Let this place be known as a place where God can do what no one else can do and restore people and restore families. Restoration looks like not just the return of stuff, the return of loss. Restoration looks like multiplied return. Multiplied return. Brothers, when you have someone who's overtaken, don't just ask for enough. Ask for the multiplied return. Go to the judge and ask for a multiplied return. God, I know they're down in the depths. I know they're places they thought they'd never be, places I thought they'd never be. But God, you speak on our behalf. That is what restoration looks like. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6. Through eight. Restoration is a complete, a thorough completion. Restoration is a turning back. It is a multiplied return on what has been lost or stolen. But in this story, restoration overcomes self. Restoration overcomes self. Now in this story, David is king of Israel. He's been king for some time. He decides that he wants to bless anyone who's left from the house of Saul. So he sends out a a, a decree, a question. He says, is there anyone else alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? What? First of all, can we stop there for a second? Do we know what Saul did to him? He was his father-in-law. He tried to murder him. He likely had David's parents murdered. Saul hunted him for years. David had to live in caves for years. He had to ally himself with his enemies just to survive. Saul was killed in battle along with his son Jonathan, who was David's best friend and brother-in-law. And and yet David says, I want to show the kindness of God to somebody from that group of people. That's otherworldly, church. That's amazing. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know that I could do that. Anybody else willing to admit that? Are you guys better than me? All right, very good. Hey Amen, it's hard, isn't it, when you, when you have an adversary to show the kindness, to show any kindness, much less the kindness of God. So David says, is there anybody left? They say, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. He was the son of Jonathan, your best friend. David says, all right, bring him to me. Mephibosheth had a problem. It wasn't his fault, but it messed up his entire life. As an infant, when they were fleeing, after Saul and Jonathan were killed, he was dropped. And his legs were not set right because of their limited knowledge. And so as his legs grew, they grew mangled, and he could not walk. Now, we don't see that very often here in the States, but it does still happen around the world. When, when we went to the Taj Mahal in India, 
Just outside, there was a man begging, and his legs were mangled. And he was walking with sandals on his hands, scooting along the ground, asking for money. So it is a real thing. This is what I picture when I read about Mephibosheth. It says in verse 6 of, of 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says, When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. and will restore you all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. You want to talk about restoration. This guy was born to be a prince, but instead he's an invalid. Instead, he's got to be carried everywhere. Instead, he depends on people in an unusual way. Oh, church, if we looked at sin like that, is that not what sin does? Sons and daughters of God born to be princes and princesses in the kingdom, and yet they've been mangled and destroyed by what sin can do. Amen? That's what they're all like. Even if they don't know it, that's what they're like. But we know somebody who can make a change, amen, and he does it through his people. David reaches out to this guy and he says, he says, I'm going to restore everything that was taken from you. I'm going to give you your land back. I'm going to give you all the workers, all the servants. Everything's coming back. And you're going to eat at my table, my table continually, the king's table. What an honor. Verse 8, we see Mephibosheth's response. He bowed himself. And said, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? What does this verse show us? It shows us how Mephibosheth saw himself. He saw himself. We live in a world, they know just how bad they are. They know they mess up. They know they're wrong. They just don't know what to do about it. Mephibosheth sees himself as a dead dog. Could you imagine standing before a king, having been awarded such kindness, and to be able to say to the king, why are you doing this? I'm a dog to you. Why are you doing this? See, restoration is powerful. It's amazing. But it's got to overcome you. It's got to overcome how you see yourself. Your self-image, restoration is bigger than how you perceive yourself. It's bigger than how they see themselves when they look in the mirror. It's an identity change. It's not just that God cleans it up and makes it shiny. It's that God changes it. He went from a pauper, an invalid, to a, a friend of the king. He went from sitting on the floor to sitting at the king's table. He had a chair under him. He had servants around him. He had influence. He had the ear of the king. Because the restoration of God came in his life through the man of God, the king. That's what God wants to do in Winchester. That's what God wants to do in Mount Sterling and in this region. He wants to take people who've been mangled and destroyed, who see themselves as nothing, and He wants to show them who they really are. You were made for royalty. You were born to be in, a, in influence. You were born to be more. They're not right now. And sometimes you're not either. And sometimes I'm not either because we all have bad days and weeks and seasons. 
Amen. But brothers, when someone's overtaken, restore such a one. Restore. What does restoration look like? Yes, it's a multiplied return, but it's a, it's a new identity. It's overcoming who you see yourself to be. That's big. That's big. If you can, if you can change someone's view of themselves, you will change most of the issues in their life. Did you know that? Because people live out of their perception of themselves. If they see themselves as nothing, they're nothing in every relationship. They're nothing in every job. They're nothing in every opportunity that comes their way. Because that's how they see themselves. But God doesn't see us that way. God sees us like David saw Mephibosheth. David saw royalty. David saw connection. David saw relationship. And that's what David wanted to bring out of him. And Mephibosheth lived the rest of his days sitting at the king's table. All right, what does restoration look like? A multiplied return, an overcoming of our self-image. And then we're going to go to Mark chapter 3, verse 1. In this passage, Jesus is in Capernaum. It's where Peter and James and John lived. It's on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's where they had their fishing business. He is in Capernaum. He's done a lot of works there. He's getting a reputation. People are starting to understand that he is at least a prophet, if not the Messiah. And he goes into the synagogue because he's a rabbi. He goes into the synagogue. It says in verse 1, He entered in, again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. Now it's important to note, this is the synagogue. The synagogue was the local church. The local church. There was a man with a withered hand in the local church. Did you know the local church isn't full of perfect people? We've all got things or had things that are withered on us. That term withered means drawn up. It's drawn up. It's not usable. It's, it's, it may be smaller. It may be kind of emaciated looking or, or atrophied, whatever. It could be burned. It could be any variety of things. And that's what we've got to understand is that this man's condition is really because of, of two core things, either someone's decision or something natural, okay? Either someone made a bad decision. It might have been him. It might have been someone to him. Maybe someone injured him. But there was a reason why, a legitimate reason why, he was the way that he was. It could have also been a natural reason, maybe a birth defect or the result of a disease, something he could not help. Regardless, he's in the house of God, but he's withered. He's withered. He's a, he's a son of Abraham, but he's withered. How many of us live withered? When we were made to be whole and restored. Are you with me? How many of us live withered? Well, that's just, that's just my thing. That's my thorn in the flesh. How many Christians write off something God can fix as their thorn in the flesh? And that's not at all what that was about. Okay? Not at all what that was about. How many of us have lived withered for a season, but God brought us out? Amen. How many times has God brought you out of that time where you thought you were dried up and worthless, you couldn't function, you weren't usable, but God decided, you know what, I'm going to use you anyway. I'm going to stretch you out, and I'm going to use you. That's what happened to this man. Jesus sees him, and he asks him to stand up, and the, the Pharisees are watching him. They're trying to accuse Jesus of healing on the Sabbath, which God forbid that God do something in the church house. Amen? Uh, but Jesus, in verse 4, 
Verse 5, I'm sorry, he looks around about them with anger at the, uh, the Pharisees, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. But he says to the man, stretch forth your hand. What a request. Now, in our culture today, that would be shaming. Oh, you're, you're shaming the disabled. You're mocking the disabled. If he could stretch forth his hand, don't you think he would? Okay. He did. He did. It says, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out. Restoration can come when you stretch a little bit. When you stretch, you're extending yourself. You're pushing yourself out of the normal confines of where you normally operate. That's a stretch. You ever been stretched at work? You ever been stretched at home? Maybe your wife stretched you a little more than you wanted to be stretched. Hold up, I didn't know this was coming. Wait. Your kids stretch you a little bit sometimes? Amen? What if God wants to stretch you? What if God is stretching you because He's trying to restore you? He's trying to restore you. If the man did not move, restoration would not have come. Restoration would not have come. He stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other. Whole means well and healthy. That means whatever his left arm looked like, his right arm looked exactly the same. That's, that's a creative miracle. Because his left arm was usable, but his right arm was not. There were atrophied muscles. There were tendons that hadn't worked in years. There were things that hadn't moved in a long, long time. There might have been scars. There might have been whatever reason for why he was the way that he was. But when he stretched at the Word of God, he was made whole. Restoration, yes, it's a multiplied return. Yes, it overcomes how you see yourself. But it stretches you. That's what restoration looks like. It looks like a stretching. When it's stretching you, it is undoing and outdoing poor decisions, being victimized, or even natural issues. It is undoing and outdoing poor decisions, being victimized, and even natural issues. We've got handicaps that we have accepted as part of our journey that God's not called us to. Amen? We've also got a community that's got handicaps that they've accepted. But God says, no. You don't have to live that way. You can. Remember, God's not like the devil. He's not going to kick the door in and do whatever he wants to do. That's what the devil does. The thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we can have life and more abundantly. Amen? He comes and he stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, if anybody opens the door, I'll come in to him. And when he comes in, he brings something with him. That verse specifically says that if any man opens the door, then I will come in and he will sup with me. That means Jesus is bringing something to the table. Amen. So, restoration. We have been called to a mission, church. A mission to be a place of restoration. We are to be restored people. That's, why, that's what God made us for. Just like Mephibosheth was born to be a, a prince and a king, we were made to be restored. We were made to be royal in the house and kingdom of God. That's what we were made to be. 
Let us not live less. Amen? Let us not live less. Let us not build a house. This house. Let us not be a part of a house that doesn't bring restoration. Amen? What this world needs is restored people telling broken people how to get restored. Amen? Has anybody experienced some restoration in their life? Amen? Do you know for a fact that God can do it? Amen? Because He has done it. If He has done it, why would He stop doing it? So I feel like we have two action items this morning. Two things to do. Number one, we got to look at ourselves, And we got to say, God, what have I accepted as my handicap? What have I accepted as being lost forever? Let's, not even, let's move from the handicap thing. Let's talk about loss. That relationship will never be restored. That friendship can never be put back. That money can never be regained. God, you know what they did. It could never naturally happen. They made decisions against me. They left me. They did this. They did that. There is no natural way that they're going to return it to me. But we know a judge who's got the authority. Amen? We've got an enemy, yes, but we've got a judge who rules in our favor. Restoration looks like a multiplied return. It looks like more than what you see yourself as. It looks like an undoing and an outdoing of poor decisions and victimization and even natural issues. You might have every right in the world to be as messed up as you are. They might have every right in the world to be as messed up as they are. But God's brought a higher right, and that right came from heaven. Amen? So we got to look at us first, and then we've got to say, all right, God, make this house a house of restoration. Do you want that? I mean, this is a serious question. I realize it's rhetorical in the nature that I'm asking it, that you are implied to say yes. If you don't want that, then you're going to have a problem when we become that. Okay? Can we be real? If you don't want that, you're going to have a problem when those people walk in. So we've got to decide right now. Is that what we want? Do we want to be a place where God can take mangled people and straighten them out? He's going to do it through us. There'll be power encounters. There'll be truth encounters. God can do awesome things in the spiritual. But there's going to be physical stuff we got to do too. We might have to teach them how to manage their money. Right? We might have to teach them or have to teach them how to have a good marriage because they've never seen one before. We might have to teach them how to deal with their kids and teach their kids how to deal with their parents. You realize what we're signing up for, church? If a brother be overtaken, you who are spiritual, restore him. Restore him. Complete him thoroughly. Restore that brother. It's going to take work. It might require that you grow a little bit, that you stretch a little bit. It might require that you have to learn some new stuff. I've been serving God 100 years. I don't want to learn anything new. All right, we've got to deal with that. We've got to deal with that. You with me? There's a little tension in the air. It's all right. You know what that means? It means you're thinking about it. It means you're considering what I'm saying. Oh, God, if this is a house of restoration, that means it's got to be full of restored people doing some restoring. Amen? 
But you know what? That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to see young people come in with every reason in the world to fall apart and fail, but they don't. Amen? I want to see parents come in with every reason in the world to to just give up on their kids, but they don't because they start learning something new. I want to see marriages come in that are on the brink of collapse that God can restore. Friendships restored. Relationships renewed. Restoration. It's a, it, we're an outpost of the kingdom, church. And in the kingdom, it has everything that we need. God's not short. He's not running out. He's not empty. He's got it all. And it's not just for us, but it can flow through us. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening today to Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you'd like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.